So maybe Jesus was born in the right place at the right time. Welcome to the Athens First UMC Sermons Podcast. I'm Sarah Lawing, Director of Online Productions. We hope you'll enjoy this weekly resource. Our scripture lesson this morning is the seventh verse, the second chapter in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, We tend to turn our attention this time of year to that famous second chapter. The seventh verse reads, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, for there was no room for them in the inn. Let us pray. Though we had no room for you, you came among us, O God. As we make our way on this journey to Christmas, may we make more and more room for you in our lives. We ask in the name of the one whose name is Emmanuel, God with us, Amen. I always appreciate it when I'm invited to participate in something uh, with our youth. Uh, That's less and less these days, and I think I know why. Uh, There was a time most of us got started in the ministry as youth directors, but when you reach my age and my stage, uh, you know, they don't necessarily invite you to come to youth a whole lot. So I always appreciate it very much when they invite me to do something, to share with youth in some way, shape, or form. Janice is, is very gracious about that. And she invited me to make a little video, just a word of encouragement, a word of greeting to the youth. And the theme uh, that particular week or day was uh, joy. And so she said, select a song that has something to do with joy, and that'll be a part of the video. So I thought about it, and it wasn't very difficult for me to think of some way to express a few minutes of greeting to them and encouragement to them, appreciation for them, because that's something that's very genuine uh, with me. Uh, But I had a hard time with the joy part. I didn't want to do something so... Uh, abundantly obvious and it seemed like okay joy to the world would be easy just do joy to the world but again that seemed too obvious three dog night had a song years ago joy to the world that some of you who are near my age remember I don't know if our youth have any idea three dog night that's a weird name and I don't know if that would weird them out but they had a song joy to the world which starts with Jeremiah was a bullfrog and I thought that's probably that's probably not a good choice either and I really struggled to find something that I thought was appropriate something that would maybe make me a little bit cooler in their eyes and I couldn't come up with it because I just don't have a cool factor if I ever did I don't anymore and so finally I settled on something very current is from the 18th century and I thought this will resonate with them something from the 1740s and what I settled on when I thought about what piece of music can I think of that comes to mind immediately that makes me think of joy that makes me feel joyful when I hear it and sing it and when I experience it and and frankly the piece of music that does that to me 
not the only peace, but the peace that fills my soul more than any other with joy is at Easter and at Christmas when we sing the Hallelujah Chorus. And, and it's like there's this vibe about it. There's this vibrancy about the Hallelujah Chorus that just sort of fills my heart whenever the choir sings that and we sing along there at the end in that chorus. And so I decided that would be the piece of music that I would offer them to listen to, the Hallelujah Chorus. It's hard to say Hallelujah and be in a bad mood. It's hard to say, you know, hallelujah and go, yeah, hallelujah, whatever. You know, it doesn't go like that. Hallelujah kind of goes like go dogs or something like that. It's more of a, yes, it's more of a positive experience. And so I chose a hallelujah chorus. Now, in my research, uh, here's what I discovered, that Handel wrote the Messiah evidently in about 24 days, which is... uh, a pretty short period of time to write such an oratorio. Uh, he wrote it at a time when he was in terrible health, paralyzed for the most part on his right side from a second stroke uh, he had endured. He also wrote it at a time when he was close to being thrown into debtor's prison because he was in such a terrible state as far as his own uh, personal finances were concerned. And so what What I want to share about that, and the reason I'm talking about that this morning, is that Handel found a way to make room for joy in a time when it must have been very difficult to do so. Paralyzed on your right side, suffering poverty, and yet in that set of circumstances, in that context, Handel wrote this most incredible uh, piece of music. Making room is not always an easy thing. Making room in our lives for love and for faith and for hope and for others. Making room in our lives for people we don't know. People that that rub us the wrong way. Making room is not always very easy. Sometimes we have to force ourselves to make room. Handel must have had to have done that. To write that piece of music at a time when he was experiencing so much difficulty uh, in his life. This is the time of year when preachers bombard the innkeeper. I mean, the innkeeper is just, you know, hammered over and over and over again. Everyone else seems to have a pretty good part in the story. Uh, Joseph and Mary, you know, they did a good job. They were open. You know, the shepherds, they did a good job. They were obedient. And the wise men did a good job because they were generous and they worshiped. But the innkeeper is the one that's an easy target for us preachers. And so every year when we come to this time, we talk about the innkeeper and it's a big thumbs down and how he didn't open. Uh, his life. Was it his fault that there was just one few too many rooms in his inn? Was that his fault? Was it his fault that Caesar Augustus had decided to tax the entire world? I mean, was that his fault? Was it his fault that Joseph and Mary were running late 
and the rooms were taken up. There was no vacancy by the time they got there. I mean, was that really his fault? And then it begs the question for me at Christmas, would I have done any better than he did? If the, if the inn was full, the inn was full. But we have this image of the innkeeper uh, hanging out of a second floor window, yelling down at a young couple, saying, take the barn and put the baby in the trough. Merry Christmas, and closing the window. I mean, we're unfair to the innkeeper because I'm not sure that I would have made room either. Making room is it's hard, isn't it? And yet this is a season when we're, when we're challenged you know, to do so, to make some room uh, for this one. Sometimes, sometimes we do it. Sometimes we actually open up and make room for others. We accomplish that. And maybe we're no more like Jesus than in those moments. I've always said we never grow weaker the wider we open our arms. We only grow stronger. But sometimes the church doesn't hear that message. And the church can become insular if it's not careful. We can like what we have and not want others to change it. We can like what we have and not want those we don't think highly of to be a part of it. But we've never grown weaker. The wider we've opened our arms, we've only grown stronger. And sometimes we do that. Sometimes we open up and we make room. And we're always blessed by it. We're always better for it. We crush the innkeeper because we say he was not open. And yet sometimes we know we're not either. Brenda Jones was 69 years old. Her liver was shot. And she needed a new liver. Although 69, she wanted to live a longer life. And so she fought as hard as she could. She waited for a year for that liver that matched up well with her. That liver they could transplant into her body. That liver that would save her life and improve her life. And finally, the call came, the day came for that liver. But it just so happened on that same day, there was a 23-year-old woman named Abigail Flores whose liver failed. And the surgeon said to Brenda Jones at 69, today we have a patient we've admitted to the hospital whose liver has failed. She's going to die if we don't transplant a liver. She is a perfect match for the same liver that we plan to transplant in you. I'm not suggesting that you set yourself aside. I'm just wanting you to know this before you make this decision. And Brenda Jones, a 69-year-old woman who desperately wanted to live, who desperately wanted that new liver, set herself aside and opened her life to Abigail Flores, who she did not know, 
a 23-year-old woman whose liver had failed. And Abigail Flores underwent the surgery and received a liver. And Brenda Jones waited. And she waited. And she waited. And it was another six months. But she lived for those six months. And she too received a liver. Sometimes we get it right in this world. Sometimes we do make more room. We make more room in our lives. What concerns me about these days as I look at it, what concerns me is that we're making a lot of room for fear and for anxiety and for what is not. And we're making less room for faith and for peace and for what is. The only way to fight fear is with faith. And the only way to fight anxiety is by moving toward peace. And the only way to stop focusing on what is not is to focus on what is. The blessings that we continue to enjoy in this day at this time in our lives. And so I look around at how we're experiencing this time, not only locally, but nationally and internationally. And it seems there's a lot more fear than there is faith. There's a lot more anxiety than there is peace. And there's a lot more focus and attention given to what is not instead of to what is. And so the challenge of Christmas is always the same, but it is especially true in this day and time. And that is the ability to make more room. Are we making more room for those things that make us stronger? Are we making more room for those things that bless our lives? Are we making more room for those things that reconcile us to one another? Are we making more room for those things that bring us closer together? Are we making more room to allow us to love one another more fully and more completely? That, that is always the challenge of Christmas, but it is especially true, I think, this year. Making more room. We're so critical of the innkeeper, but sometimes I ask myself, would I have been any better? Do I make room in my lives? It's fascinating where they place the baby. We read this passage and we say, oh, they, they wrapped him in swaddling clothes and they laid him in a manger for there was no room in the inn. And we sing away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus lay down His sweet head. The stars in the sky look down where He lay. And we get this kind of warm, fuzzy feeling from that, don't we? They laid Him in a food trough where the animals ate. I mean, a manger is a better word for it. And away in a manger is a sweet song that I love that gives me sweet images. But the reality is they took Him to a barn and they put Him in a pig trough or a cow, cattle trough where they put the food and that's where He lay the first night of His life. We're concerned when that firstborn baby gets a speck of something on their fingertip. And their option was to lie that baby down in a trough where the cows ate. That Something about that doesn't seem right, does it? Or is it completely the way it should have been? 
George Miller is a director, and he directed an animated film, Happy Feet. I don't know if you saw it. It's like 2007, 2008, sometime in there. And he actually won an Academy Award for the direction of Happy Feet. Alison Gerber is a minister, and she and her husband were on a flight to Sydney, Australia. And it so happened that it was just a few days after the Academy Awards, and George Miller was on that same flight. He was in coach like the rest of them. I don't call it coach, I call it cattle car. They just get you in there and just stuff you next to people, and, and there you ride until the ride ends. But George Miller was in there with everyone else, and she said her husband Jonathan recognized him. Didn't say anything, didn't want to bother him. But then she said they got off the plane, and George Miller was not led to the VIP queue to stand in line to enter the Sydney, uh, Australia airport. George Miller was standing with the rest of the folks in line waiting to enter the airport. And she said her, her husband, Jonathan, finally just couldn't stand it. And, and as we are often prone to do when we see somebody famous is we go, You're George Miller! Yeah, you, you're right. I am George Miller. He says, you're George Miller. Congratulations, George. You just won the Academy Award. This is amazing that we're seeing you in the airport after you just won an Academy Award. That is great, George. And that stirred everyone up. And so they all came around George and were asking for an autograph and bugging him to death. And finally, he looked at the crowd. He had this backpack, his little knapsack, and he said, would you like to see it? And he zipped open his knapsack, and in the knapsack, with the mostly used up airplane food, and with that mask you put over your eyes, and those little earplugs, and all of in his nasty socks, he had some socks in there, he pulled out uh, the Academy Award, 24 karat gold Academy Award. And they just passed it around, and they let everybody touch it. And everybody look at it closely and carefully. That seems strange, doesn't it? You just pass out an Academy Award among the people and let everybody enjoy it. Can, would you be that open? Would you make that much room? And Reverend Gerber says she stood there in amazement. George Miller passing his Academy Award around to people in an in an airport, letting them thrill at the possibility of touching one for the first and probably only time in their lives. Isaiah says, we build trenches and towers to protect our gifts. Not God. If you think about it, what if Jesus had been born into a wealthy family? Maybe in, into a family that was rich and powerful. What if Jesus had been born into the family of an earthly king? Or maybe uh, an American president? I mean, that, that probably would have been more fitting, perhaps. But there would have been so many who probably would not really have been able to identify with that. Well, you were born the you know, son of a king. You were born in the White House. And so, you know, you can't identify with me and I can't identify with you. What if Jesus had been born into my family? 
I'm sort of your typical, traditional, not wealthy, but have a good life, nice roof over my head, good family. What if he'd born into, you know, like a Athens family? You know, like mine, like yours. Maybe that would have done it. But we have a poverty rate in this town that is exorbitant. We have a population in this town that sleeps under a bridge every night or wherever they can find a spot. Our poverty rate is about as high as it is anywhere in this entire state. And could they have identified with me and my family, my circumstances? So maybe Jesus was born in the right place at the right time. Take the barn, put the baby in the trough. Who can't identify with that? Well, you can't say He's above us because, my goodness, He, he was born in such meager conditions. So the gift seems to be available to everyone. Not out of anyone's reach. No one can feel like, well, you have it made and so I can't identify with you. What we can say is you were born in a barn and placed in a food trough for a cow. God made that gift available uh, to all of us. I remember as a child when I would wake up early on Christmas morning and I would rush out to the tree. Where did my parents put the gifts? The top of the tree where we couldn't reach them? Up on the mantle that we couldn't get to them? Did they hide them from us so that we would have to search diligently for them? Where do you put the gifts? You put them beneath the tree. And there's not anyone, anywhere, at any time who cannot touch them, who cannot reach out and receive that gift. So when I think about swaddling clothes lying in a manger, it's a meager beginning, but it is a right beginning. No one can say God sent His Son into the world and He's just out of reach for us. And that's not what God does. God does not build trenches and towers and walls to protect His gifts. God puts His gifts of hope and life and faith and forgiveness and mercy and grace right out there so that you and I can very easily reach it and touch it and embrace it and receive it. Our responsibility in that is to make sure we've made room for what God wants to give us. So I would encourage you in this season to prepare your hearts we will celebrate this most magnificent gift over these next weeks. One that God has put right on the doorstep of our lives. One it would be impossible to ignore or forget. 
but we still have to reach out and take hold of love. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening. To listen to more sermons, read past devotions, or look up opportunities on how to connect, visit us at AthensFirstUMC.org. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following us on Instagram or Facebook at AthensFirstUMC.org.